All right, I want to welcome back to the show my very good friend, Greg Coles. In this episode, we are going to talk about the meaning of the phrase gay Christian. We're going to clear up some confusion. We're going to talk about why phrases like homosexual, the gay agenda, practicing homosexual are not the most helpful phrases in the conversation about Christianity and sexuality. If you haven't read his book yet, I would highly recommend Greg's book, Single Gay Christian, put out by IVP, University Press. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology into raw and support the show for as little as five bucks a month. If you don't want to support, can't support, can't yet support, then please consider leaving a review. Uh, And honestly, I've heard people say, Go and leave a a five-star review on my podcast. I don't want you to leave a five-star review unless you think it's worth five stars. You leave an honest review. If you think this podcast is is full of crap, then leave a one-star review. I'd rather have honesty than a bunch of BS. So... Go leave a, just leave a review. And if you feel like this content is helpful, is engaging, is challenging, uh, you can also consider um, sharing it on social media. Like, uh, I'm really dependent on you guys telling others about Theology and Narod to help them to engage what I think has been engaging conversations. If you, if you feel the same, then please consider sharing um, Theology and Narod on your social media platforms. Okay, let's welcome back to the show, Into My Basement, sitting right next to me. We're sharing the same microphone, the one and only Dr. Greg Coles. I'm here. I'm back with my friend Greg Coles. Oh, I should do this so it doesn't look like we just recorded two episodes back to back. Oh, there you go. So this is my change about. Fit. Do I need to just kind of like roll up my sleeves <laughs> or something? Like I don't know. <laughs> you can show off your tat. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what, what's the verse again? Oh yeah. So uh, so it says "Hudorpalu udenesitai spesitina gapain kai potamoi usum klususin outin," which is uh, it's it's the Song of Songs eight seven, uh, which many, means in English, many waters cannot quench love and rivers cannot sweep it away. That's such a wow. Okay, I, I I would love to unpack that, but we got to talk about it's true some other language related to homosexuality. So um, in the in the last, I, I don't even like that term too much, but anyway, um, if you haven't watched the previous video, then I want you to go back and watch that. If you're listening to podcast, um, then go ahead and listen to the previous podcast with Greg Coles. I'll try to put part one, part two. This is all post production stuff that I'm I haven't done yet, obviously. So in the last episode, we focused largely on on your story. Uh, you coming out to your parents and how just people, especially parents should understand just the coming out experience. And you also gave some thoughts on if you're a, a late teen, early 20 something, you're gay, you're a Christian, some advice to them on coming out. So if you missed that episode and would like to learn more about that, or if you want to get to know Greg and his awesome book here, single gay Christian, um, is it? No, no, no. Other side, other side. Other, it's other side. Yeah. Oh, it's other side. Okay, there, there you go. go. Oh, hey, our, our faces blended together don't look too bad. Really? I mean, All right. I should wear my glasses. We should do a hybrid, yeah. Let's talk about language. Um, the term gay can be troubling for some people. And even in like evangelical circles in the last couple of years, ah, three or four years, there's been a massive debate about whether uh, somebody should ever use the term gay, even if they hold to and are living by a traditional sexual ethic. There's something about that term gay that um, some people would find problematic. And I think there's some thoughtful people who have raised some good questions. Um, and we'll get there in a second. But 
when you say the term gay, single gay Christian is your the title of your book, um, help us understand maybe the ver- various ways in which the term gay can be used. Um, maybe we, we, I definitely want to get into is being gay a sin or not? What's the relationship between gay or simply wrestling with same-sex attraction? Um, yeah, all that jazz. I'll just let you go for it. Yeah. Beginning with what does the term gay mean? Uh, well, so so the fun thing about language, uh, one of the reasons one of the reasons that I was able to to get a get a PhD in English and not feel like I had used up all of the field, all of the things that there were to say about rhetoric, about how language works in the world, is that language is just a wonderfully complicated thing. Uh, so when we say what does the word gay mean, uh, maybe the more appropriate question is uh, to whom does the word gay mean? Uh, who's who's listening, and and what do they understand the word to mean? Um, so, uh, so when I was, when I was growing up, uh, and looking for a word to describe the experience that I was having, that was not the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I searched online and in Mm -hmm. books for a word to describe it, uh, gay was the word that I found. Um, and that was the word that seemed to be prevalent in society. Um, of course, uh, there's, there's this thing that happens, uh, in, uh, all, all across the world, it happens in the church and it happens outside the church, uh, where pretty much everyone seems to assume um, that if you are gay in your sexual mm-hmm. orientation, that also means that you will be engaging in certain uh, sexual mm-hmm. activity that also goes by the name gay. Um, and so all of those things can sort of get easily lumped into being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, or being gay means you're having gay sex, you want to get married to some of the same sex, like there's a whole package kind of deal. Sure, Yeah. Yeah, um, but the but it but it's clear it's clear that the word gay in society doesn't necessarily mean all of those things um, because otherwise it would be completely meaningless to ask a question like can someone be born gay um, because the idea can someone be born having sex with someone of the same sex no it is a physical <laughs> impossibility the infant is incapable you know so clearly clearly the word gay in that context simply can someone be born. Um, with the propensity to be attracted to the same sex mm. is really all we mean. Um, I, wow. I, and even though I would generally say like by gay, I mean attracted to the same sex, I would maybe even caveat that a little further and say like having the, the capacity or the propensity over the course of time to be attracted to the same sex when I'm attracted to anyone. Because for instance, at the moment, I'm sitting in a room with one other person, he is male, um, and, and a delightful and very handsome fellow, but I am not currently experiencing any same sex oh, attraction. Come on. I'm sorry, you're very handsome at all. But, uh, but like, uh, I think, I think if, if, we, if we imply that like to be gay is like to always be experiencing attraction, mm. that can lead to a sort of an over-sexualization of gay people, which I think often happens uh, across the board, but especially in the mm-hmm. church, actually, when people begin to equate gay with sexual activity. Well, it's like, I, I'm straight, which means I'm attracted to females. Well, that's 3.5 billion people on the planet. Am I just walking around slobbering after everybody, you know, like that? One hopes not. <laughs> One, what if Although you I have met some straight men who I wonder. <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, for straight people, when they hear gay or same-sex attraction even, they don't give that same kind of uh, nuance to sure. sometimes that term. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, so I think it's it's useful to distinguish the the capacity to experience attraction Mm -hmm. to a specific experience of attraction, which could, of course, be an opportunity for Mm. uh, temptation, you know, Uh, and and then we need to draw a line between temptation 
to lust, for instance, uh, and actual lust. Um, uh, it seems to me fairly clear, though, granted, there are many, uh, many Christians in this conversation who I don't think are unintelligent, um, but who would say, like, experiencing sexual temptation is itself already sinful. Um, Do you want to name names? No, we're not going to name I, I will not name any names. I will simply say that I find that argument uncompelling. Go, keep going there. Okay, uh, unpack. How about this? Why don't you step into the argument, unpack what, what it is, and sure. then... Uh, do your best to maybe dismantle, not dismantle, uh, respond to that sure, argument. Sure, sure. So, so the argument, as I understand it, and and feel free to feel free to give more. You have more of more of the theological training than I. Uh, the argument, the, the argument goes thus: um, uh, that there are there are temptations that come from outside of us, and there are temptations that come from within us. Uh, and this would this would largely the the idea of temptations coming from within being already morally culpable. Um, is taken from uh, from the book of James, um, which talks about like you know a uh, uh, um, person is tempted when they are enticed by their own evil desire. Mm -hmm. um, I can't the unfortunately quote giving, the whole. There's like a desire giving birth to sin. It's James one fifteen and sixteen. Like uh, yeah, temptation when it is born. Wait, when it is fully grown gives birth to no no no. When, when does the fully conceived. grown happen? Oh yeah, temptation when it conceives gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown leads right. to death. Yeah. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Like Between the two of us, we can kind of quote the Epistle of James. Perfect. If um, I knew how to video edit, which I probably could figure, I, I would have a verse. Like put the text there's up a lower there. third Whoa. right now. Maybe I'll do that. I don't know. I'll and then we can check and see how correct we were in our right. recitation. And if we're not, then we would do. We're screwed. I'll have to do a jump cut. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, so 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 temptations from outside and temptations from inside. Uh, and so 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 these folks would say uh, that for instance uh, to know that Jesus is tempted which so that would be one of my arguments like uh, like you know scripture says Jesus is tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin mm -hmm. uh, they would say like Jesus was tempted from from outside he was tempted from without and so uh, that was a sinless form of temptation uh, but they would say mm. temptation that comes from within that stems from the evil desire mm -hmm. of the intrinsically fallen human person that comes from our own mm -hmm. uh, total depravity to take the to take the reform term mm -hmm. here, um, that that temptation is itself a morally culpable thing. Um, OK. OK. I mean, that's like an Augustinian kind of more reformed reading, right? Sure. Be, not uh, everyone reads Augustine that way, okay. but uh, <laughs> I, I, I've always found it. I mean. When, when I hear same-sex attract, if gay means, it's let's just say gay is a synonym for being attracted to the same sex and not the opposite sex, okay? That would be a standard kind of base level. Um, it, it at least means that. Yeah. No more, no less, in term, unless somebody fills, fills in more of a definition. Um, and yet, so if, if gay means that, then straight means being attracted to the opposite sex, not the same sex. So for me, it's just it's more of a categorical statement about which kind of human, whether the male kind or the female kind you're attracted. So in one sense, when I say I am straight, I do mean I'm attracted to females as a kind. When I say I'm straight, I'm like, that doesn't mean I'm only attracted to a very small subset of the female kind that I'm physically attracted to or whatever. It just means females, not males. So on a very broad categorical sure. level, it can't that can't be sin because i'm <laughs> i'm not attracted just to my i'm attracted to females even though most of them i wouldn't even be tempted to lust after what would even you know so i don't know just on that broad categorical level that's how i've always understood same-sex attraction which makes it hard to understand why that would be again a morally culpable sin i have no problem saying it's a 
product of the fall in the same sense that say uh, i don't know and i know we can we can get trouble here but maybe like a, a physical even a psychological disability might be a product of the fall that isn't necessarily a a morally culpable sin um i mean uh, let, let, uh, resisting all of those analogies, because I, I, I mean, I'm perfectly comfortable saying it's a product of the fall in the same way that what we know as heterosexuality is a product <laughs> of the fall. Uh, that seems to me a comparison that is quite apt here. Okay. Um, but I, I would say I, I love I love how I'm winding up arguing, arguing for the inherent moral culpability of okay. uh, same sex orientation. Uh, like to your to your earlier comment um about like how can like how can just the general capacity to be to right. be attracted to guys be morally culpable in a way that the general capacity to be attracted right. to women isn't? Um, I, I think the the argument that would be made here um, is that in the uh, that there's there's no there's no t loss for a sexual attraction mm -hmm. to uh, someone of the same sex That's true, yeah. um, that that can be that can be expressed mm -hmm. in in a biblically defined marriage between male and female. And so because there's no telos of that kind, that means that the only the only direction that mm -hmm. that attraction can take you is a direction that is. You're following. really stepping into that argument really well. I don't know if many people I mean, who even believe in that could articulate. So how would you respond to that the telos thing? Cuz that, that sounds pretty compelling. Well, well so uh so so number 1, uh, I would I uh, I would challenge the question of the inherent moral culpability of being a product of the fall. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, and, and, and this is, uh, so, so at this point, I don't, I, I don't think you have to agree with me on this point to potentially still agree with me that, uh, same sex orientation, mm -hmm. uh, is morally culpable. Okay. Um, but, but this is a point where I would, I would diverge with at least a, a good handful of my reformed brothers mm -hmm. and sisters and siblings, uh, in that I would, I would say, uh, I, I don't think that uh, the fact that we are fallen is mm. something for which we are uh, morally culpable. Uh, so there's the, like a, you know, please. Well, I was going to say, like, in a sense, there's very different theological anthropologies that maybe a reformed crowd and a more Wesleyan crowd are going to hold to. And that's going to affect how they understand this conversation. Well, yes. you, I think you or somebody made a joke earlier today, like, well, if you're super reformed, I mean, and I would, I would lean reformed. So I'm not, it's, it's my camp. Okay. Um, I mean, it, 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 and because it's my camp, I can kind of tease it a little bit. You know, it's like, you know, for the super reformed camp, it's like just breathing is sinful. Like you're just, just being human. It's sure. like your category for humanity is sure. sinful. <laughs> which, which just to tag onto that, I did. So I once had a conversation um, with uh, a dear, a dear sibling of mine uh, mm. with whom I disagree substantially. Um, this particular sibling has referred to me as a heretic before, but we have had some conversation on the okay. subject. Yes. Um, and, uh, and in that conversation, this person uh, read aloud to me a quote from my own book mm -hmm. um, where I'm wrestling with, uh, with sort of the discovery of being gay and wondering, like, does God hate me because of this? Um, and I wrote, um, uh, I, I, I wrote uh, that uh, I, hadn't, I didn't remember choosing to be gay. And I wrote, is it possible to sin just by existing? Is it possible uh, to unwittingly defy God with every breath you breathe? And this person read aloud that yes. quote to me and said, I'm sorry to tell you that the answer is yes. Right, right. And, and, and I realized like, oh, like if you think the answer to that question is yes, like you are already in sin with every breath that you breathe. Right, right, right. Then, well, then, well, then sure. Like tell me I'm in sin for being gay, but also tell me I'm in sin for wearing a T-shirt today. Um, <laughs> 
And again, again, we're not, we're not. I, I don't so think you, we're going to solve the the, the reformed Wesleyan, mm-hmm. you know, differences in this conversation. But so from my vantage point, I, I understand. There are, I, I think, even as you've articulated, there's some, I, I would say, good arguments in the sense that they have some deep theology. They have verses. There, I'm not gonna like just say, oh, I can't believe anybody would ever believe. Like, there's some, there's some meat to it, and yet I would still, well. Um, I think there's other concerns too about the ontology, the ontological weight that is credited to somebody's humanity when you use a term, for instance, like gay Christian. Um, you're, you know, it just linguistically feels like your Christian identity is placed side by side with something that should be much lower mm-hmm. on the scale of of contributing to the ontological significance of who you are. And I know I'm getting, <laughs> you can Google ontological. It's, <laughs> it's my word of the year, as you know, from editing some of my books. Yeah. So let me just give my, where I was going with that. So from my vantage point, I, I can see the concerns with, with the term. I really do. And I might even fall on the side where, where you're at, but I can understand the concerns. I think some of them are really legitimate. Some of them I think just haven't, they're kind of tone deaf. They haven't really understood what the, what somebody's saying when they say the term gay Christian. But my big thing is let's not uh, divide over this. I mean, this is kind of a, a distant secondary point to the larger conversation about sexual ethics, Christianity, the year 2020, <laughs> what it means to be a, even hold to this really Amish looking kind of sexual ethic that, you know, a traditional ethic might be perceived as. So let's come to the, if we both agree on a traditional sexual ethic, my goodness, can we just say that everything else is kind of more secondary and we can, we can dialogue about it. We can, we can even debate about it. We can get into heated, ex, I don't know, we can get into forthright exchanges and then break bread, drink wine and hug and call each other, not a heretic, but a brother and sister in Christ. Is that fair? I mean, is that, um, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. I mean, so I, I would, I would certainly say like broadly again, uh, I understand. I understand people who think differently on this mm-hmm. question, and I, and I do think to the degree to the degree that those folks are willing to see somebody like me and say we can absolutely still mm-hmm. celebrate what we share in common. I, I think to the degree that we can manage to get unity in Christ with each other, it seems like kind of a big deal to Jesus. Like he seems kind of excited about the prospect of you know his followers mm-hmm. being unified. Yeah. Um, so I think I think if we can get there, even across differences of opinion that feel incredibly important to mm-hmm. us, incredibly personal. Um, I won't lie. Uh, there are people for whom it is really hard uh, for me to get excited about the prospect of sharing eternity with them. <laughs> and the fact that it is hard for me to get excited yeah. about the prospect of sharing eternity with them is precisely the reason why I need to lean into mm. unity with them. That's good. I mean, that's, I, there's probably not... A Christian on earth who would, who, if they're honest with themselves, wouldn't say that like, Oh my gosh, that person, you know, we all have difficulty with other people within the broad camp of Christianity. Um, Okay. So uh, the term gay Christian specifically, and I did talk to Wes, you talked, you mentioned Wes Hill. I talked to Wes about this on a podcast a while back. Can you unpack um, what, okay. So, so I, and I still get a lot of people and maybe people watching, I'm sure like, Okay, I get what you're saying, but that's just that term gay Christian. I just can't get my mind. Like, why would you put your struggle right next to your Christian identity? This Christian identity is primary, is pure, is sinless, is everything. Um, and then you're you're front loading this 
experience you have, um, which must be subservient to your identity in Jesus. Why would you put that right next to the term Christian? Yeah, yeah. You want to respond to that? I'm trying sure, to mediate sure, those sure, concerns. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, uh, if your Christian identity is sinless, like, wow, remarkable. I've never met one before who was <laughs> sinless. Uh, amazing. Uh, I would much prefer myself to take the posture of Paul and saying like, ah, Christ came to save sinners of whom I happen to be the worst. Um, but uh, but but that question aside, so I think it's important when we when we talk about uh, when we talk about adjectives, mm-hmm. um, it's important to understand that adjectives do a couple different kinds of things. Like there is there is not one kind of adjective in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so so let me give you an example. Um, let's talk about uh, uh, cheese. Um, so we have cheese, um, and we could say like, oh, like is it yellow cheese or is it white cheese? Uh, and when we add those adjectives. We're not really we're not really altering what we would have generally understood by the word cheese. We're just giving more specific information about the kind of cheese we're talking about. Um, but let me add a different. So adjective. you're not elevating the whiteness of the cheese over the cheesiness of the cheese because you said white before cheese. Well, I'm just I'm just giving you a, like I've, I've given you yeah. a broader category yeah. and I'm giving you a little more specific okay. information. But let me give you a different kind of adjective put in front of the word cheese. Toe cheese. Yeah. Uh, which and suddenly suddenly we've added an adjective and it has had the power to fundamentally change the substance of the noun um now now th- this is i'm, I'm sorry you're if trying I to drink for- coffee um <laughs> well because i was i was imagining this i love cheese i used to love cheese until five seconds ago and i was imagining this block of you know like i was even thinking like yeah this chat would be cheddar i'm like and then he said toe cheese and i well and and it cannot be real with you Honestly, I think that's how a lot of straight people react when they hear the word gay Christian. Wow. They take this thing that they love so much, and then they they put something in front of it that frankly disgusts them. And all of a sudden, they can no longer conceive of. And But the, but the important thing is that they take the adjective um, as fundamentally changing the nature of the noun. Okay. Uh, they thought they knew what the noun meant, and then all of a sudden the adjective is there, and all of a sudden the noun is twisted to mean something entirely different. Um, now, this is a thing. This is a thing that is very possible to do with the word Christian. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, uh, and sometimes it's possible for us to do it with the word Christian, even with adjectives that would otherwise be potentially neutral. Let me give us an example. <laughs> Let's talk about American Christians. Um, I, I would posit to you that there are two kinds of American Christians in the world. Um, there are those who are giving us a broad category. I'm Christian. And then they're saying, ah, also, let me give you some information that may be helpful with regard to my nationality. Mm-hmm. Um, my national identity, I have an American passport, or maybe I have never left the country and have no passport, but I have an American citizenship. Um, and so that's useful information. Um, and it's in fact, I, if you live in America, I think you should acknowledge the fact that you're an American Christian, because I think it's important for you to think through the question of how your national identity relates to what your obedience to Jesus is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have also met a different kind of American Christian in my life. Um and it's the kind whose Americanness seems to so fundamentally inform what they think it means to follow Jesus mm-hmm. that somehow Jesus is really excited about making sure that America is the number one country in the world. Uh, 
And Jesus is really excited about the prospect of us going off to kill people in other nations to make sure that Americans are absolutely kept safe at all costs. And Jesus is really excited about America getting more and more prosperous at the expense of the nations around us. The idea that Jesus is in favor of those things is so antithetical to the gospel that to be that kind of American Christian is to fundamentally be a kind of Christian that I no longer recognize as a follower of Christ. And yet the same phrase can be used by both people, American Christian, American. Are you are you a Korean Christian, uh, South American? What, what kind of Christian? Oh, no, I'm an American Christian. That would be the more softer, like, oh, okay, you're, you're wondering about where I happen to live, my national identity, however that plays a role. But the other one is more like, Clearly, their primary identity is American and Christianity is sort of, it's almost like Christianity. Christian becomes the adjective <laughs> to, to, to color the noun a, a little bit. I, so I, that's, that's super helpful. So when you say, so again, for somebody who holds to a traditional sexual ethic, it, it, does, it does bewilder me, I'll be honest, it, it, that somebody like yourself can be very counterculturally convinced that the Bible defines marriage as between a man and a woman. And out of allegiance to that Christian teaching, say I'm committed to celibacy because of this, clearly your gayness is not on the throne. <laughs> like, <laughs> and yet somebody could still, I mean, do you still get that? Like, Greg, your gayness is not on the throne. Jesus is on your throne. That, that's got to be so disheartening to hear that. Like, I don't know. I just don't uh, have a kind of quibble about the language all you want. Some sure, of those quib- sure. quibbles are worthy to have. Sure. But to tell somebody who is maintaining a traditional sexual ethic that their their gayness shouldn't be on your throne. I don't call myself an adulterous Christian is how some people, you know, the analogy they give, which is, I think, problematic for many reasons. Um, yeah, is that? <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's 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 frustrating. You know, it's irritating. But here's actually here's actually the thing. The thing I dislike about it the most is that I think it's actually spiritually dangerous hmm. um, because I think the more people tell me. Greg, I've heard you use these words, and here's what they are doing to you. Here's what is happening in your soul right now. Um, Functionally, those voices become in my life the voices of the accuser with a capital A who is speaking words of death into me. Mm. And 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 there there is a time when when my mind will hear those things over and over again and be like, you know what? Like everybody says I I already lost, so like why not just Mm. prove them right? Uh, um, yeah, no, totally. And, and, and I would add in addition to that, like, so, so I think part of the reason that, that the phrase gay Christian is so, uh, so much debated, um, is that it is, it's ambivalent. It has multiple kinds of possibility and power in the same way that something like American Christian does. Okay. Um, yeah. and so there, there is very much a way in which it is possible to take one's gayness and to make that the defining feature that so fundamentally alters the nature of what you call Christian faith that it ceases to look like mm-hmm. obedience to Jesus Christ. In, a, in an email, I was as a, a few months ago, I was emailing somebody. We're having this discussion. It was a great brother or sister in Christ. I forget which one um, about about because they were concerned about me using the term gay Christian and and I in 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 the email I remember writing. Um, I think I didn't even plan it this way, but I in passing. I used, I was referring to Christians who had gone through a divorce. And yet linguistically, sometimes it's easier in passing to say, you know what? I, I know some divorced Christians that are, that know, that have a healthier view of marriage than some Christians who haven't been divorced. 
And I was I didn't plan it that way, but then I came back and said, and I don't know if you noticed, but I just used the phrase "divorced Christians" there, N- not because I was trying to elevate their divorcedness sure. and bake it into their identity sure. as a primary category. It's just linguistically, yeah. Rather than saying a Christian who has gone through a divorce, a Christian who has gone divorced Christian, essentially means the same thing. It's just li- li- more linguistically expedient. Is that? I mean, when I use the term "gay Christian," um. Oftentimes I catch myself now because I know some people are like, they won't listen to anything I say if I use that sure. phrase. But when I say it, that's all I mean. I mean it's like, well, I could spell a Christian who wrestles with same sex or, tra- you know, um, sure. but it's just, is that okay lingu- from a linguistic perspective? Is that, are there other categories or analogies you can give that we do that all the time? I mean, uh, well, uh, white cheese is a great one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't Toe like cheese, it so I'm much still... when I started there. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you white cheese, cheese that is white. Um, uh, and, and it's, and I mean, that happens in so many languages, uh, Greek, for instance, a language Mm -hmm. that Preston and I share a common love for, um, there, there are two, two positions that you can put an adjective in where you want to modify a noun. There's the one where you put the adjective before the Mm -hmm. noun, and there's the one where you put article noun, article adjective, Mm -hmm. um, the cheese, the one that is white, (laughs) um, is how you would translate it if you wanted to keep the word order from Greek and bring it into English. Um, but there's no set, like when, when we are translating Greek into English, there's, there's no, there's no sense in which accurate translation would be like, well, you see here, like clearly like because it because it was put before in this case that means it's fundamentally altering the substance of the noun and if it's put afterward that means it's not Mm -hmm. no it's i mean there may be some sense of emphasis potentially depending on Mm -hmm. the passage i think depending on the passage you'd really have to crawl on all fours to make it (laughs) word order but but i but as far as greek grammar is concerned really they're just grammatically equivalent structures and the same is true in english what about so i've often heard that even the term same-sex attraction or ssa the acronym that that's not really a neutral phrase uh, because it was kind of birthed in the cauldrons of I'm mixing metaphors, <laughs> <laughs> birthed in the delivery room of uh, you know ex gay um, therapy for lack of better terms. Sure. It has been kind of traumatic for some people. Have you have you heard that? Do you have any thoughts on SSA? People say why don't I just say you're same sex attracted? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sir. I mean, that's that's an argument that I make in in my book about why I why I chose not to use the term. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's worth noting that prior prior to uh, the arrival of ex-gay ministries, it was perfectly normal to use the word homosexual, which was the prevalent term at the time mm-hmm. in the same way that the word gay is now the more prevalent term. Okay. Um, uh, so C.S. Lewis, for instance, writes a letter about a pious male homosexual, by which he means, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a person experiencing same-sex attraction, right, right. a celibate gay Christian, but th- but that was the that was the language he had at the time. The emphasis on language as the primary thing that people needed to change in order to become mm-hmm. acceptable oh. um, really really came yeah with the ex-gay movement and especially it was especially leaned in on uh, once the ex-gay movement began to realize like oh crap like we're not actually making people straight straight, but we can at least claim them as success stories if we can be able to say that they are no longer gay and define that as they no longer identify themselves as gay. Ah, and so it becomes okay. a way a of shift in identity rather than a change of attraction. Right. Yeah, okay. Right. And so there was a sort of a moving of the goalpost by the ex gay ministries to say like, here's how we can produce successes, even though we're not actually producing the thing that people think we're producing, okay. which is heterosexuals. Ah, okay. Good, good. Well, yeah. Let's see. Uh, we're at 30 minutes. Um, let, let's do some quick ones on language, okay? You mentioned the term homosexual. Uh, most, especially younger people, don't prefer the, to be called a homosexual. 
do you have any thoughts on that? What's what's uh how is I don't want to put your words in your mouth, even though I know what words are going to come out of your mouth. But <laughs> for somebody that might be like, whoa, I can't say homosexual. Like, what what advice would you give to somebody on that on that term? Yeah, well, uh, so homosexual uh, was it feels like it feels like an old term. It tends to mm-hmm. feel like a clinical term, um, and it's actually not uncommon in English um, that if you take an adjective. Um, and then you put an article in front of it and make it substantival. Um, so by which I mean, like, in, take the adjective homosexual and make it the homosexuals, uh, or take the adjective black as a descriptor of race and make it the blacks. Um, or bo- both of which are constructions that most of us can recognize. By the way, if you're like, oh, what's wrong with saying the blacks or the homosexuals? Please don't, because they're both considered really offensive. But those constructions are recognized okay. as offensive um, okay. more readily. But the thing about homosexual. Even, even as an adjective instead of as a noun, um, mm-hmm. is that it tends to feel clinical, it mm-hmm. tends to feel old and sort of distanced and removed. Um, and in fact, uh, because most gay people don't prefer the word homosexual, um, there was once like this web app that was created by a conservative Christian um, to, to substitute the word homosexual for the word gay every time it appeared in online articles. So you could you could get like a plug-in for your web browser so that when the word gay showed up, it would just substitute it for homosexual. Why? They just didn't like the word to gay? Because they were like, oh, because like gay is clearly like the ideological. And it was almost like a oh. stick it to the man kind of thing. Like, we know you would rather we call you this, so we're going to call you that instead. So it was at least self-aware enough that they knew there was a difference. Between oh, yeah. Two oh, yeah. <laughs> because we, you prefer this term, we're not going to use it. And, and, and I feel like, and, and this, is, this is true for homosexual, but it's true for so many words in this conversation. It can be really easy to get sort of caught up and even terrified by the idea of like, there are so many things I could say wrong. Right. I can't say anything at all. I probably shouldn't talk to anybody who's gay because I might offend them. Yeah. Like the more important thing is to have a posture that says like, hey, like help me understand what words right. are honoring to you. If I use a word that you don't prefer, let me know and I'll try to use different words. Um, It's more the posture than the actual words. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, just to give an example of this and not to take us too far afield here. Um, but, um, uh, with, with regard to the question of using, uh, using the pronouns that trans people identify themselves with, um, which is something that, uh, I've, I've literally written an article for Preston that, you know, probably got him in a little bit of trouble, Um, but explaining why I think it's really, really valuable for us, regardless of what we think about gender identity ethics. I think it's really valuable for us to use the pronouns by which people identify themselves as a way of honoring them. Um, now, so I made this argument, I believe this argument with every fiber of my being, but still when I'm talking to trans friends, especially trans friends who have just recently switched and and begun to say like, hey, like I'm going through this process. I would now prefer they, them pronouns for myself. Um, I can be absolutely 100% there with my heart and say like, great, I would love to do that. And still the habit is just so much within me. I do it all the time. I I screw it up all the time. And, you know, and and, uh, I I can think of a time just a couple months ago, uh, I was I was with a trans friend and I kept accidentally using the wrong pronouns. And, you know, I apologized the first time and they very graciously said like, no worries, you know, and they said, like, I appreciate the fact that you're that you're trying. And after yeah. that, like, sometimes sometimes I got it right. Sometimes I screwed it up and was just like, she no, I mean, they, um, yeah. you know, and, and then I just and over time, I, I got more in the habit. But but the important thing for my relationship with that person 
was not they they weren't looking at me and waiting for me to screw up so they could be like how dare you right. but the fact that i was willing to say like how can i use language in a way that honors mm -hmm. you in a way that demonstrates my love for you mm -hmm. like it it was that that yeah. was significant to our relationship how about the term gay the gay lifestyle thoughts on that <laughs> uh, uh i mean there's uh, what, what, what even is a gay lifestyle? You know, like Neil Patrick Harris and I are both gay. We both have lifestyles, but they're like different sorts of lifestyles. Uh, you know, Preston has a straight lifestyle, but it's a little different than Madonna's straight lifestyle. You know, uh, what do we mean by lifestyle? Uh, really, what we seem to functionally mean is like in, engaging in same-sex sexual behavior. Um, yeah. But the, the unwillingness to name that, huh. um, the 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 pattern of trying to uh trying to talk circuitously around something instead of simply naming the thing mm -hmm. um it tends to be uh it it tends to create some stigma around the thing itself uh it, it's actually a bit of a, a bit of a shaming move to say this is something so heinous that i can't even name it and so i'm going to come up with euphemisms i'm ah. going to euphemize it out of existence that's how it feels um, i don't know if anybody intentionally does that but that's it comes off I think that, like a, I think that's part of the re well I mean part of the reason is just like what is a gay lifestyle like right. there are so many of us we live very very it's different very lifestyles. stereotyping right it's very like, like right as if there brush. were exactly one way to be gay right. um, so so that's like it's conceptual problem but even beyond that I think there's there's a there's a problem with euphemism writ broadly mm -hmm. that anytime we euphemize the thing that it indicates is I can't I can't speak the name of this this thing to you um, interestingly, uh, getting back to the to the word gay, just briefly, mm -hmm. um, this is, I think, um, part of the power that I've found in naming naming my orientation as gay. And part of the, part of the reason that that some other people are like, no, 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 don't say it, is because they have an expectation that, like, oh no, like if we give the thing the name, then 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 that's going to mm -hmm. be terrible. Like we must euphemize it. But the reality with language is that if you're never willing to speak the name of something, then it becomes sort of the the eternal antecedent mm -hmm. that you can never speak, but it's always understood. Mm. Kind of like uh, if Voldemort. you remember, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the he who must not be named. We can't talk about it. And because we can't name it, it has that much more power over wow. us. Okay. And so for me, my sexuality had so much more power over me when it was the thing that I could not speak aloud. And as soon as, as soon as I developed the capacity to just say like, eh, I'm gay. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. It didn't become to, all this overpowering kind of, I mean, yeah, we all have struggles and I'm sure it doesn't wait, make it, it didn't, I, sure I have, make you straight. I have right? by no means arrived. I, uh, I, no, that totally makes sense. It's with anything, right? I mean, if we, you have an addiction, maybe you've had, you're a victim of, of abusive past. I mean, naming that thing can be a step towards, um, uh, I almost said healing because in certain contexts it might be healed, but a step towards uh, healthy living in sure, light of your sure. experience. And certainly, I mean, certainly there's healing to be had. Like, like when I say yeah. like, I'm suspicious of people who are like, you're gay, you need healing. You know, I'm suspicious of the idea that like becoming straight is healing, but like, certainly I need healing in my life on such a variety of right. realms, you know? Um, uh, I, I just don't think that like the healing I need is becoming straight. Yeah. I think the healing I need is like Jesus to move more deeply mm -hmm. in my heart, to strip away the layers of sin and to yeah. make me more like him. Okay. Practicing homosexual. Are you a practicing homosexual? I love that you just crack up. Though there's certain people love, that I think there's uh, people know like, what's he laughing at? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, practicing. Hey, well, I think this construction is funny about a number. Like, obviously we say other things like practicing law. And I think that's funny. It, like I chuckle at all of them, okay. but practicing homosexual in particular, uh, it makes it sound like I need practice. And I always feel like, no, like I didn't need to practice like this at all. It's just kind of happened. Um, uh, You're quite good at being gay. Just <laughs> a, a natural gift. What yeah. can I say? Yeah. Um, 
No, but again, I think beyond that, I think I think the problem with that phrase, uh, in addition to it's sort of like gay lifestyle. I mean, it has a different set of issues. Yeah, but again, similar, it's, yeah. it's 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 the problem that that euphemizing the thing means that you can't just have a conversation about what we're trying to say. And again, if you're saying practicing homosexual, well, again, we don't love the word homosexual, but are you saying that to be homosexual or gay in orientation? To, to live out that thing mm. in any way at all is inherently to have sex. Because if so, what you're doing is again, looking at someone like me and saying, well, obviously the only thing you should do with your orientation is go have sex. In which case, again, your voice becomes the voice of the accuser being like, well, here's what you might as well do because you're already there. Whereas I would say, au contraire, like I absolutely think that it is possible to have a same-sex orientation and yet live in a way that is honoring to God. Yeah. Yeah. And and the way that is honoring to God, as I understand it, does not involve sex with uh, sex outside the covenant of marriage at all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so 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 to 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 use a phrase that implies that the auto, that the that the only the only mm -hmm. possible end for my sexual orientation is in sexual physical behavior. Um, it has an unintentional. It's sort of like sex. an automatic yeah. co condemnation, in the same way that the gay lifestyle is like, well, Greg's gay. Like, there's only one lifestyle he can live. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, no. The the whole point is to discover, like, how do I, within the unique experience of the world that I have, how do I get to follow Jesus? How do I get to reflect the glory of God in my life? Let's do one more. Uh, the gay agenda. I mean, all a lot of these have overlapping it, by uh, now. Uh, you know. I mean, yeah. So all the things we've already said, et, et cetera, and so forth. Um, I mean, number one, gay agenda makes it sound like we have these meetings and get together, uh, like all of us somewhere. And I, I've never been invited to one. Um, uh, but another problem that I have with that phrase uh, is that it seems to assume uh, that if there are things that gay people all share as wanting in common to mm -hmm. see happen in the world, that those are inherently bad things that Christians need to oppose. Um, if there is such a thing as a gay agenda that every gay person I know wants to see happen in the world, that gay agenda includes things like decreasing LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQ bullying in schools. Mm -hmm. yeah. It includes things like getting uh, getting homeless LGBTQ kids off the streets. Which uh, if you're human, let alone Christian, you should be like, okay, I, 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 that's probably good. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hope that you want to get the LGBTQ homeless kids off the streets. Yeah. I hope that you want to see suicidality among LGBT kids fall. Um, those, are, those are the things that are on the gay agenda. Right. Right, if right. such a thing could exist, even if and, you, even, even if you disagree with the, the means by which some people are trying to accomplish that, sure, you can you can agree. You can be the, like the most conservative Christian, whatever, you know, and, and still say there are some end goals here that are also resonating with Christianity. Even there's just fundamental disagreements with some various pathways on how absolutely. To get and 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 in that case, by by euphemizing it and making it something that we don't talk about, we miss the opportunity to find common ground. Mm -hmm even with people who think really differently than us on a lot of questions on faith broadly mm -hmm. on sexual ethics, there are still ways in which we can partner with those people and say like, Hey, like I see that this is a real matter of concern for you, that you have a heart for the marginalized homeless LGBTQ kids that you are seeing on the streets. Mm -hmm. Hey, guess what? I know a Jesus who also has a heart for the marginalized. Let's work together to see how we can wow. help that group of people. And I've seen people, uh, partner in that way and it's it's a beautiful thing there's a i have a little video clip of um uh, jim daly president mm -hmm. of focus on the mm -hmm. family you know not your bastion for liberal ideals right um and he he got together and befriended uh ted trimpa who is uh i i know he's a gay activist i don't know if he had a political position or whatever in colorado 
to, I think it was to fight against a growing concern about sex trafficking going on in Colorado. Hmm. Wow. And they shared together at the Q conference. I have a little clip. It's like a two minute oh, clip. That's awesome. And it's, it's just beautiful. Cause you, you hear, um, not only did they come together and, and fight a common thing, but presuppositions were deconstructed. Here's Ted Trimper, like, and his friends are like, you're going to meet with focus on the what, like, do you, you know, and, and and then they became friends and he even i think he might have even lost friends over i, I can't verify right. that but then he started tearing up almost talking about how when he had a he was having open heart surgery and they flew him to like new york the one person that flew out there and stood by his side was jim daly wow and he said yeah I, he and he even said ted who's not a believer says like you know jim i felt the presence of god mm. in you because wow. you I, I your friendship i knew was 100 percent genuine and i it was it was a beautiful awesome. like i don't know how you can be a christian and not say like that is a beautiful thing and they and they even said in that like they they fun like we fundamentally disagree on something okay <laughs> and it has an important aspect of my life you know ted but like we can have a friendship across that because we have found some kind of common human ground here it doesn't mean we absolutely doesn't mean we 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 lose our convictions or, or lighten up on our beliefs you know it, but we can still have be passionate about certain areas of common ground while holding on to our differences how much do we need that in 2020? <laughs> oh. I'm like, I almost went political, but we're, we're out of time, <laughs> folks. Um, any last words on language? Somebody listening that wants to uh, understand the language. Do you know any blog exchanges that unpack the term gay and same-sex attraction? You or? know, it's funny that you should mention that. I do know a blog exchange <laughs> that happened on the Center for Faith website yeah. uh, between myself and Rachel Gilson. Uh, who is a singularly delightful human being. Uh, she she works for Crew, um, and uh, so so she uh, she does not prefer the term gay. Um, mm -hmm. uh, she would describe herself as same-sex attracted to the degree that she describes herself as anything other right. than happening to be married to a man. Um, right. uh, and and uh, so she and I had a, had a good back and forth, mm -hmm. um, and and we ended that back and forth. Uh, we wrote you know three three post back and forth but then we ended by co-writing a post mm -hmm. about sort of our hopes for the future um mm -hmm. kind of landing on that note of the value of unity i'll put it in the show notes if you don't see in the show notes right now it's because i just flat out forgot so drop a comment in the youtube thing and i'll, I'll post it there uh so for those listening on podcast uh i think i'm supposed to say it's so hard to do both for me i, I gotta get in the rhythm of doing both so you've been listening to theology in the raw join us next time if you want to support this show on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. And I guess if you're listening or watching on YouTube, you can do the same thing. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw, support the work that we're doing there, uh, doing here. Uh, Greg, thanks for hanging out in my basement. This oh, yeah. Fun. Thanks for having yeah, me in your basement. Let's do it again sometime. Again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, next time you're in Boise. <laughs> All right. Peace out. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Greg Coles. If you would like to watch it, you can go to my YouTube channel, press the sprinkle, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And a lot of these podcasts that you're listening to uh, were previously released as YouTube conversations. I'm trying to tackle both platforms because I know some people love one much more than the other. And so if you would like to go and see me and Greg banter around in my book-filled basement, my book-filled basement, you can go to my YouTube channel, PrestonSpindle.com. Again, please consider supporting the show uh, through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. Get access to premium content, once a month, blogs, podcasts, and uh, access to the Theology in the Raw community. All right. We will see you next time on the show. Thank you.